So we have a couple people that are trying to turn their cameras on. I think Will is one of them. Um, I need Ghost to unmute. And let's see, David unmute. As well as, let's see, Ryan. Dude, Ryan, where'd you go? Oh, dude. Okay. All right, we should be good. So... Start out, starting out this week. Um, welcome to episode, I think it's 16, right? 16? Um, dude, time was like flying by, bro. 17, holy shit. Yeah, 17. Um, so, a little history so that Dave can get caught up on where we've been, where we're going. Um, Tech Strong TV uh, plays are. Uh, podcast three times a week during their digital anarchist uh, episodes, which reaches about somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people. Um, so we've grown quite a bit and we have at least between 20 and I've seen as many, Ryan, how many were on SIGINT? Was it like 80 people that were logged on active all right? during SIGINT during the uh, one episode we had, it was like uh, 80 something people logged on during that one. Yeah, I think so, man. It was huge. Yeah, was so, so, so the had, biggest one was the um the one with Ghost, actually. Yeah, Ghost is here. I don't know why Ghost is not activating his uh video and microphone. He's being shy, mate. He's being shy. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, we've had as many as like eighty. Um. There's Ghost, and um, we have like tons of uh, viewers on the YouTube channel. One thing I want to get out of the way before we start: housekeeping. Um, I'm about to switch questions to host only to where your shit will come to me um, for security reasons and to make this like a safe chat for everybody because um, we've had compromises before. So Discord is not Discord and Zoom are not the safest platforms, but no platform is. Um, so anyways, we've been going on for weeks and weeks right and we've had some really cool um people coming on david being one of them um some of our podcasts have been like really great uh so this week has been kind of busy for me i apologize for not putting together like the technical hack for this week but i've been dealing with um working in like multiple time zones england u.s uh, taking 5 a.m phone calls and get getting talks ready for next week for cybersecurity 2021. 
so with that being said, um, I'm going to run over some quick news real quick. It's nothing spectacular. It's the same shit, different day. Uh, let's check it out really quick. Um, so really, North Korea, they're doing threat you know, malware, same shit. You know, they're, they're getting financially sanctioned. So instead of, you know, complying with sanctions, they're going through malware and grabbing crypto coin and whatever they can through threat needle. And that's pretty commonplace. It's like normal. Um, Cisco released uh, security patches for critical flaws affecting its products. More than likely, probably a lot of VPN products uh, since the uh, pandemic and work from home. And Chinese hackers using Firefox extensions to spy on Tibetan organizations. So I'm not really sure why Tibet and why, why China wants to squash Tibet. You know, let them be, let them chill. And, you know, let's, let's ease up on the cyber war against a bunch of Buddhist monks. It makes no sense. Um, let's see. Russian hackers targeted Ukraine authorities with supply chain malware. Big surprise there, considering they attacked the entire U.S. with supply chain malware. Um, I'll pass on that one. Um, online trackers increasingly switching to invasive C-name cloaking technique. So you're going to see a lot more of this now that people work from home. Um, registration is a little bit more of a pain in the ass when it comes to domain name registration, especially for companies and shell companies. Um, and then you also have export experts warn of notable increase in QuickBooks data files theft attacks. So that's not new. Um, I'm not really sure why they think that's like paramount news, but it's, it's really not news. Um, everything you know about evolving threat and ransomware. Ransomware going to be on the rise. I predict this like middle of last year when we started getting into all these uh, lockdowns. So I saw an article today about the Italian mafia going to new neighborhoods to solicit protection, uh, giving people protection um, in exchange for money from income. Kind of a fail because what protection are they providing considering it's under lockdown in most countries? Uh, businesses don't have to worry about protection any longer. So a lot of those uh, companies that are, well, I guess mom and pop shops, right? They're willing to pay that, that type of money for protection because they don't understand that most of the cyber ops, most of the, the uh, I guess, attacks or um, criminal behavior against our companies are moving to the internet. Uh, because of the pandemic and because of lockdown. We saw that like 200% in the UK in the first week of lockdown, first month, um, fishing went through the roof. So, I mean, for the Italian mafia to request protection money on a street level, uh, they're kind of behind, um, which is kind of disappointing in a way because I know a lot of the organized crime groups, especially like Poland, uh, some of the other groups are resorting to fishing to augment their financial income to, to like help fund their operations or whatnot. And also online gaming. I did a video interview with uh, Trident, um, which should be coming out soon about gaming and grooming kids for uh, cybercrime and organized crime, et cetera. Uh, so that's it for the news. Um, so we do this really cool thing 
It's kind of goofy, but it's new for the podcast. It's called the Cybersecurity Weather Forecast, according to your weather forecaster. And there's 99% chance of fishing and 100% chance of precipitation in the amount of making it rain all across the globe um, because of fishing. Uh, people are willing to give up passwords, uh, accounts payable, are willing to create new accounts. Um, and it all is because of lack of training. So with that being said, I am going to allow uh, Ryan to introduce our guest because Ryan made the connection with our guest. Um, we did have another guest as well, but that would have to be postponed. Um, I don't, oh, yeah, I, I don't operate at three o'clock in the morning. And for, <laughs> for some of our guests, they wanted to speak to me directly. And at three o'clock in the morning, I can tell you that's probably not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but we'll go from there. Uh, so Ryan, take it over. Talk to us about David. David, this is totally casual. Um, welcome to the haunted house is all I can say. Uh, we have a blast. It's an open community. We look to give back to the community, teach people how to, you know, infiltrate systems, test their own systems. Um, just free knowledge, man. Just like get together and, and really have a good time. There's no, Sweet. you know, don't worry about censorship. Tech strong provides that. So <laughs> we'll go from there. Ryan, go ahead, bro. I'm going to turn my video off. Okay. Let's just get it started and um, just introduce yourself and give us a bit of your history, your background. Sure. Um, okay, my name's David. Uh, a lot of people know me online as DC CyberSec now. Um, I've been working in IT generally for around 15 years-ish, give or take, and in cybersecurity for around six of those years. Um, I have a YouTube channel called DC CyberSec uh, where I try and teach people about what the daily life or the, the general um, feel and flow and thing is of cybersecurity on your, your day-to-day basis. So I try and stay away from things like tutorials because there's a thousand other people who can definitely do that better than me. Um, I just like to talk about, you know, what it's like, what, you, what you're going to get yourself into. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So, yeah. so what inspired you to start the channel to start with? Like, how, how long has it been going for? Uh, the channel's almost two years old. So it's, um, prior to that, I was working in a uh, government agency in Australia. And um, I was talking about this just the other day. It was actually a little bit of a, a backflip from um, the level of censorship and um, clearances that I had in that job. So there was a lot of things like you can't say this, you can't do that. And then I got out of that job and there was still obviously... The, um, the clearance and stuff that I had to keep in mind. And if, if you go back to my very first video, it's super sketchy. I'm looking around, I'm, I'm freaking out. <laughs> and um, things have obviously changed a bit because now I, I share my LinkedIn profile with everyone. None of it's blanked out. Um, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's kind of like a backflip reaction or a knee-jerk reaction to um, being locked down, to not being able to use anything for a very long time, to, to then just sort of, this is what I've got. <laughs> so, it was, yeah, it was, it was, I think that's kind of why I created it. Um, I saw an opportunity as well with 
a lot of people doing like technical reviews and um, there wasn't many people doing CTFs at the time. And I thought CTFs were a great place to learn. Um, so I, I started the first few videos I did were talking about how to get into cybersecurity mixed with uh, different CTFs that I was finding, like the, the, the old school ones back then, like over the wire and um, stuff like that. So, yeah. How do you find it being an influencer, a cybersecurity influencer? <laughs> I, I hate the word influencer. Um, yes, thank God. I, I think it's a load of shit, yes. uh, to be completely honest. I, um, I like helping people. And that's if that's what an influencer is, then sure, call me an influencer. But um, I'm here to, to help. That's, I'm that's all I'm here to do. I'm totally with you on the influencer deal. Like I, I was approached by an AV and antivirus company and said, hey, we want you to be our social media influencer. And I'm like, dude, the last time I was called an influencer, there was bad before influence. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Right, right. So yeah, it is, it is a bit strange actually. I just had a, a someone contact me the other day about a um, sponsorship in a video and he's like, Oh, what's your influencer rates and blah, blah. I was like, I don't have rates. I mean, <laughs> what do you mean? What's my influence? Rate? I can give you my hourly rate if you want, but <laughs> didn't know what to say. I was blown away. So yeah, still Shock. getting used to this whole, this whole social media um, thing. It's, it, and, and, and it's totally shocking, right? So, so Ryan, um, I'm sure you can like relate to this, right? So when we started the podcast, none of us were influencers. At least I didn't think so. And all of a sudden, Dude, it's like I'm getting approached for, hey, we'll pay you X amount of dollars if you say this during your podcast. And it's like, yeah. I'm an influence. Usually you want to keep your kids away from people like me. Like now I'm like <laughs> a positive influence. That's weird. And with you looking like a Wookiee, that's that's difficult, bro. <laughs> hey, I am who I am. So Dave, what, what do you reckon? What's the biggest challenge to running your community? Like, what's the what's the biggest like day to day thing besides you know entering what the best laptop to run uh, run Cali on is? Yeah, um, the the most challenging thing is um, steering people in the right direction. A lot of people come from like watching Mr. Robot and they want to be Elliot, and um, it's it's not quite like that. So fielding those sort of questions of uh, reality versus what it's actually like in cybersecurity, especially in a um, more defensive or even as a pen tester, it's it's very different to the the whole Hollywood scene. So fielding those sort of questions is is probably the biggest one, and trying to get people in the right direction to doing things the right way, and not just you know going out there and throwing a DDoS on something. It's it's yeah, yeah, it's probably the most challenging part of it, to be honest. Totally. I can, I can totally see that. So Mr. Robot, let's, let's delineate really quick between Hollywood and what actually happens like on a nine to five job. Right. So you have Exodus, Ghost Exodus on, and he and I both have been involved in like confidential informant shit and been pursued by the FBI. That shit can kind of mirror entertainment and can kind of like mirror Mr. Robot, but the normal nine to five job for cybersec is not what you see on TV. It's not the hoodies. It's not, you know, the, the whatever it's working. Right. So that, that'd be it's a great button up shirts and GRC. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so let's dive into that really quick. Right. So 
this is a perfect split of a panel. We have me and Ghost, and then we have Ryan and you. So let's talk about the actual nine to five, you know, genre of pen testing and, and ethical hacking and serving that purpose. Sure. Um, I'll start with, um, I, I actually made my most popular video on my channel is a day in the life of a cybersecurity professional in a government agency or something like that. I can't remember the title. And the, the most common comments that I see is this looks boring. <laughs> is this what you do every day? And um, it's a, it's a pretty realistic day in the life. Like I, I'm not messing about people. I don't know what people expected that I was doing, but um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of like, you go to work, you sit down in front of a computer for a period of time, you do the work, whatever it is. And um, then you go home and you, you go and eat dinner and chill out and you do it again the next day. And it's, it, yeah, the, in that video, there was a, um, it was actually a mock um, GRC meeting, but it, it was very real to that's what a GRC, it's me sitting there going, yep, okay, yep. Can we do this? No, we've got to go through more red tape. Okay, that's all right. Maybe next year. And it's 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 just like that. Like I don't know what uh, people were sort of expecting to see. Maybe they're sort of they're waiting for the black hoodie and the um, Guy Fawkes mask to come out and lots of green text running over my face. So I don't know. I don't know what they were expecting, but that's it's really not what it's like at all. I wish it was. That'd be cool. But right. Yeah. So so that's 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 a good point, right? So the nine to five usually doesn't look like what ghost and I have been through. Um, even so, Not really, even so, I've been looking for that binary text running in the background, the green shit, but I still haven't found it. So I, I must have taken a wrong pill. Um, but <laughs> even with that said, right? So there, with a with what we do is as an industry like pen testing, red teaming, um, analysts within a SOC. Uh, the closest I've found to what I did in the military and kind of what I did like, you know, on the legit side was Pine Gap on Netflix, which took place in Australia at listening posts and doing signal intelligence. And, and that was pretty realistic. Um, on, the, it, on the other end of the spectrum, Mr. Robot was very, very to the point and very accurate technically as far as exploits go. Um, sure. but the story behind it, of course, it's Hollywood and I won't get into the people who actually helped produce that, that show because, you know, there's some bad blood there. Um, but anyways, like, so, you know, coming into, coming into security, CyberSec, um, where did you start and what brought you to where you're at now? Um, I started, I was working for a, another government agency at the time. They had a position for a network security engineer. So not quite cybersecurity, but I guess this is sort of like the, the way in for me. So I was previous, before that I was doing uh, network engineering. So all the Cisco stuff basically. Mm -hmm. And they had this project to uh, cut over a bunch of firewalls, implement a seam and um, go from there and I had a six month budget which ended up blowing up to a 12 month budget mm -hmm. um, as they tend to do and uh, yeah so that was that was sort of the the introduction so I went in there the first in my interview the reason I got the job is because they had um, a guest wi-fi so naturally waiting for my interview jump on the wi-fi 
do a couple little scans, see what I can see. I noticed that the networks weren't um, segregated at all. So I had full access on their guest network to their company files, which I thought was a massive, massive problem, especially because there's a, there's a bus stop right out the front. It's in the middle of the city, that place. And um, literally anyone could jump on that network. And that organization deals with, um, how do I say it without giving too much weight? The legal documents for lawyers in the entire state that I'm in. So they're, they're all about the compliance for lawyers as well as law cases against lawyers um, to find out which lawyers are good and which ones are shit, basically. So for that sort of information to be um, publicly accessible from not even inside the building, you can get on the Wi-Fi at the front. Um, massive problem. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought it up. It was the first thing I said in the interview. They're like, hey, David, I'm like, your Wi-Fi is open. Before they even, I was like, your Wi-Fi is open, guys. I don't know what's wrong with you. So, 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 so quick question from the guest Wi-Fi. I, I'm assuming it's like lobby level or maybe even like enterprise level guest Wi-Fi. So once yep. you get to the guest Wi-Fi, if you do like a like a VLAN hop, right, VoIP hopper into the data network. Exactly that- what I did. Yeah. So they had separated it out by VLANs, did but you- there was no client isolation. Did you use VoIP hopper? I didn't, no. Oh, Okay, negative one. One point taken away. <laughs> no, I was on my phone. <laughs> that works too. Yeah. That works too. Yeah. So, like, that's pretty commonplace, right? So, most of these companies that have vendors coming in have a guest network, you know, set up your demo, whatever. Do you see that as being pretty widely spread within Australia? Because I know in the US, like, especially in oil and gas, they all want to have this like dog and pony show where they put on like, you know, these, these slide demonstrations and, you know, product demonstrations, but they do it on the guest Wi-Fi. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting there watching the guest Wi-Fi while I'm on the, the corporate data land and bouncing back and forth within a couple seconds and latency is like zero. So yeah. do you, do you see that a lot when you come to like, um, it's, it's becoming less and less common. I think people uh, like network engineers are becoming a little bit more clued up to that maybe the Wi-Fi is your first point of um, vulnerability. But uh, yeah, it, it was back then, that was like six, five, six years ago. It was, it was fairly common. So. So, so tell me how you came into contact with the Haunted Hacker. I know Ryan had a good bit to do with that. Um, we have a following in Australia that I'll never understand as long as I live, but <laughs> I, I attribute that to, to Ryan and his, you know, go getter attitude. So tell us about how you ran into our platform and, and our community. Uh, I, I, yeah, through Ryan, basically. So I, I talk with Ryan um, every now and then. I think he came to me from my YouTube channel. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, yeah, we've been talking on discord for a little while and, um, yeah, he's in the, the Discord server that I have, and we, we chat on there every now and then. So, yeah, basically through that, I yeah, every time someone talks to me, I have a little bit of a look into what they do. And um, Ryan's um, social media presence, on, especially on LinkedIn, is pretty massive. So it's not too hard to find uh, any sort of information on what he's he's up to, essentially, <laughs> without yeah. sounding creepy. It's not like I was stalking you or anything. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I, I just wanted to have a look around. It's, 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 <laughs> pretty like, it's pretty likely actually, right? So we started this, this movement, I guess what, like 
October 31st was the first podcast. Halloween night was the first podcast. And we spread to three different countries in a matter of like a matter of months. Um, but I think what, what is attracting people to the movement and to the podcast is that, you know, we want to like spread knowledge, right? Free knowledge. You know, we're not here to charge people. We have a discord, you know, we're here to provide. Um, and I think from what I've gathered and what I've analyzed and, and, and what I've seen so far, that's kind of what you're up to, right? So tell me what you're up to on your side of, of, of the pond. Um, so I, I work for myself, so that pays my bills, essentially. Um, anything else is essentially a hobby. Uh, YouTube is a hobby. It's, it's designed to help people to get into the industry and to, get to learn what it's like in you know real time so yeah and, and yeah to be- that's 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 the short end of it really yeah what, yeah what kind of success rate have you had like you, a lot of people have been hired through your channel like uh through the jobs jobs listings you've got on there like you've got a pretty high hit rate yeah yeah um i'd say the success rate of me getting people jobs is around 75 to 85 yeah. percent um mainly because they trust my opinion so a lot of the local companies that i to or have worked for previously um i there was a, a sort of long period um in between those 15 years where i was bunny hopping jobs every 10 to 12 months um because they were either the challenge had dried up so whatever i was brought in originally to do could either be automated or was just becoming boring um and i'm one of those people who who does get pretty bored which is the whole reason i started this business on my own is because i, I can just keep doing different jobs Um, so that works for me, but, um, being stuck in one job for 12 months is a struggle for me. It's 18 months, almost impossible. Two years plus never going to (laughs) happen. It just doesn't work. So um, working. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, it really is the haunted hacker literally. So working, um, in those different places, I was able to, um, I guess, put down my skills and uh, I guess personality. I, I think they're more interested in my personality. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not like one of those show-offy kind of people. I, I just get the job done and that's, that's pretty much it. If they like to chat, I'll have a chat. I'm always keen to have a chat. But um, I try and keep in contact with those people because I, well, I love talking to people basically. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I keep contact with all those guys and they've since come back to me since seeing my YouTube channel and saying, we see you've got a lot of students here. How many of them are local? And how many of those guys do you think would maybe want a job or, or whatever? So they trust my opinion on, um, you know, th- that person's level of skill because I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'll say they're a bit green in, you know, Linux admin type work, but they will, they will break your Wi-Fi, no problems or something like that. So yeah, it, it sort of depends what the job is to who I'm going to be talking to there's a couple of people that i talk to more often than not um who are in the government side of things but finding people with the right level of clearance is yes. next to impossible and yeah. they they're starting to expect it now as a minimum to get into a, an entry-level job um which is for me that's crazy because back when i went into government they're like oh we'll pay for you nv1 and then we'll get you onto mv2 and whatever and they'll, they'll just push me on from there. So 
I mean, the clearance, I probably took longer to do the clearances than what I did actually work in that position for, to be honest. But um, yeah, so that's that's sort of the success rate and how I talk with those people. I, st I still talk to them every single week. Every single one of those recruiters in IT or cybersecurity, um, as well as previous employers that I, I know Ryan's um, talked to one of those guys. Um, but yeah, the, there's plenty of other... Yeah, <laughs> he was he's a nice dude. But um, he uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of other places out there just like that sort of guy who, who I've worked with or um, push people onto. So another good example, other than um, Ryan, is uh, a guy in Melbourne who had just got his OSCP. I made a video with him talking about his OSCP. No longer than six hours, I think, later he was offered a job, <laughs> just like that. So they liked how he talked. They they liked how he's presented, and he had the credentials. So, I mean, yeah, as, as an advertisement model for people to get jobs, my channel is pretty useful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges I see as far as the industry goes is these certifications, these nonsense certifications. Like you can't get a you can't get a job or a company unless you have a CEH. You know, piss on that. I've seen the CEH since version one and it's crap. Yep. Um, it was, was shit in 2017 and it's still shit. It's still shit. <laughs> so I took, I took the test in 2005, I, I believe Whoa. version one. Yeah. So I took the test, no class, just decided to fucking roll in, do the proctor, proctor uh, exam, passed it after a few uh, printer crashes and computer crashes finally got through it. Um, but what I find is that these certifications are really making things difficult for entry level. Um, we're seeing, you know, they keep talking about gap of knowledge, right? Gap, the, the, the talent gap, yeah. which does not exist in my world. The gap that exists is when a company decides to hire and promote from within, right? So instead of hiring a entry-level position, they're raising the mid-management up to hire and leaving that position open and only hiring for mid-level, right? No entry-level. So it leaves everybody else out on the curb. You know, There's another problem here as well, which is that HR doesn't understand what they're recruiting for. Exactly. So, and that's that's the biggest problem that I reckon is here in Australia. Anyway, they're they're asking for things like previously you just needed to have some sort of IT experience to yeah. get into a cybersecurity role, and that was fine. They'll then skill you up from there. But things have sort of started changing. They're now asking for an OSCP for it, like a SOC role, which it for doesn't even make sense. But for a SOC role, yeah. Yeah, SOC analyst. You need an OSCP. Nice. nice. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> what do you need an OSCP for for doing SOC? But anyway, I mean, like maybe like the Splunk Essentials, the free one, that would be more uh, useful. But yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, that's my opinion. Um, and then now, now not just an OSCP, but they require NV1 clearance or at least a baseline clearance with the government wow. if you want to work in a government agency, which is no one has that. So then that means they're only employing internally bringing people up that, that's which, the way it is globally yeah. globally and we've unless you know someone who can get you into the job yeah 
And that, that's really hard. So we've been fighting that globally for probably since I got out of the military. And the one thing I fought against was I had a TS, a top secret security clearance with an SCI polygraph, um, which meant that I had counter intel, had lifestyle, um, SCI compartmentalized information. Um, but even that was not good enough for some of the levels that they wanted. Um, and yeah, I got turned down with a PV1 clearance, which is pretty much the highest one you can get here. Um, I, I went after that government job. I still had my clearances. I was still valid. Went to another, um, it was a private industry, but they were doing subcontracting for different um, defense government agencies. It's and a- to get that job, they, they required PV1, which I had, but they said I didn't have enough experience. I was like, what do you mean? I mean, I, I was able to get the PV1. So what's... <laughs> <laughs> what exactly. else do I need? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and, and that's the whole point, right? So the US, the UK, we all want people to join our companies, but we want them to have this level of clearance plus experience. It doesn't happen. And you're not going to pay somebody, you know, 40K for a clearance, 10 years of experience and street creds. You know, that that alone is over 100K. I don't care if you're dealing in pounds or US dollars. That's over 100K. Oh, yeah. Those clearances don't come cheap either. There's no. like even MV1 starts at around 30,000 Australian. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, we, and to but, get it, you need to be sponsored by yes. an, a government agency as well. Yes. So it's, it's literally impossible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we've seen that here, right? So I came from a clearance background. Of course, I made some bad choices and made some bad mistakes, and I'm probably not employable by the government forever. But even if I was, you know, I would only qualify for middle management. What about the people who are trying to get into cybersecurity and trying to defeat that lack of talent, right? That yeah, they keep- they're pretty much shit out of luck. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's global. When I hear people say, oh, we have a shortage of a talent. No, we have a shortage of HR departments who actually know what the fuck they're doing. And, and that's bottom line, period. Yep. Um, and, and here on this podcast, we don't hold punches like it is what it is. And I'm just going to say it. It's bullshit. Um, yeah. You know, shortage of talent. Never. I just did a talk with Westminster University earlier this week for their students and alumni, and there's no lack there at all. There's just there's just a lack of companies who are willing to open up entry level to take a risk for these new people coming in. But it's going to get to a point where guys like me, guys like you, guys like Chris Roberts, other guys, when you call upon us, we're going to be like, Yo, have you actually talked to the people who want jobs in those entry level positions? Do you have you talked to people who can help you in this in this time of crisis? No, you reach out to us because we're the de facto. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I'm so glad. I'm glad. I had three job offers this week for exactly, and I literally said the exact same thing that you just said. I was like, "Have you looked at these local universities?" Yes. Because I had a talk with a couple of local universities earlier in the week. And there's a lot of skilled guys there. Yes. Lots of guys and girls who are, they're probably better at the job than I am. Why don't you get them? Yeah. (laughs) And they're hungry. They're super hungry for it. They will learn so fast. Why get me? I'm I'm an old dog. Just forget about me. Get someone else. (laughs) Super super hungry and clean backgrounds. 
right? Exactly. Well, so yeah, that's the other kicker. Yeah. You're not going to get me or you for the money you're asking for. And you're definitely not going to get ghost and you're not going to get Ryan for entry level bullshit. You know, look at the universities pull from those, from that pool of people. And that's why I started the inside the mind of a hacker, like speaking to her was to get to these universities and talk to these people and get them rolling, right? Get them interested in what we're doing so they can jump on board. But the for, for some reason, the industry seems so hellbound on bringing people with no experience, no clearance, and trying to make them, you know, fit a mold for five years experience. It doesn't happen. You know, I, I didn't look, I actually had a company say, Hey, look, I want you to teach our entry level analysts, everything, you know, dude, I don't have 20 years to teach your people or my people. <laughs> if I had 20 years, I own my own company and we would be doing pen tests globally. Like it, it's just, it didn't happen that way. So um, that's actually a good segue onto uh, owning a company in cybersecurity and working for someone else as well. I think lay it down. <clears throat> All right. There was a question from uh, Will saying, uh, what do you think the main benefits are to owning a business rather than being an employee? And initially I would have said the freedom of time, but that quickly disappears. <laughs> that's that's, um, that's something that you sort of, yeah, it, you lose that after a couple of months or once you get a few um, solid clients in it, that sort of disappears. I work all the time now. Yeah. Um, so that, that benefit doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. But the, I guess the major benefit is you can do things your way. So being able to um, write a report the way you like a report and making it a little bit more personal rather than the like standard OSCP course that um, then gives you that report at the end that everyone uses on their pen tests. Um, it's a good report for sure, but it's ugly. And being able to present something like that to just think of the people you're talking to um, and giving these reports to, they, they don't understand anything that's on that piece of paper. So if you give it to, just imagine you're, you're writing a report for your mum or dad to understand, um, or maybe your brother or sister or whatever, that's, that's sort of how I approach these reports. And being able to do it in that way, I found much more success than writing something super technical because chances are they're not going to understand. You just put a disclaimer at the end saying, if you want technical details on each thing that's been done, like the really gory technical details, I'll give them to you. But in most cases, I reckon 99% of the time, no one cares. It's just like, it doesn't matter as long as it's protected. So yeah, that's, that's sort of to answer that question, but to talk about um, owning a business and um, doing that instead of working for someone else, the, the main reason for me was, like I said earlier, um, working in the same job for longer periods of time is, <clears throat> for me, quite tricky. But to have a business that's going to be successful, you do need to have that base knowledge as well. So it's, it's sort of a chicken and egg type situation where it would be great to start a business when you're 16, 17 in cybersecurity as a pen tester, but being able to sell yourself is going to be tricky because you don't have too much credentials to promote yourself. So I've, I've written up a, a, like a one-page bio thing that I give to my clients um, if they ask me. And it basically says, have a look at my YouTube channel. This is what I'm talking about. If you want to look how I talk or how I discuss things, 
Um, these are my list of certifications and um, the sort of environments that I've done work for before. And that's it. I don't, I don't care about like, where did you work before? Because that's just a name drop and it means nothing to anyone important, only HR. And um, I, ha I have so, uh, so many rant videos about how much I hate HR. Um, some of them I had to make private because they're just too much for YouTube anyway. But um, yeah, HR just grinds my gears, man. <laughs> I really hate them. Yeah, the, the, the level of resumes I get from HR when I worked for my previous company was ridiculous. Like people who couldn't spell CISSP, people who didn't know what a sock was, and if they found somebody, like some random person with CEH, hired, like, oh, let's, let's, you know, this guy's golden. 10 minutes in an interview room with him, and it was like a nightmare. It was like, really? Yeah. Like, it, the, the industry in the U.S. has gotten so diluted, right? So when I first got into pen testing, we didn't have the the... I guess the label of CEH or even pen testing. Um, there was no pen testing industry when I got involved, when we started, it was basically, we know how to break your shit, hire us, we'll help you. Um, but now there's like certifications and there's a whole like schooling around how to get these guys thinking, you know, like an attacker and trying to sell this, this mentality or whatever. Um, but it's falling really, really short. So I've looked at some of the courses and some of the things they put together and it's bad. It's really, really bad. They teach you academic book shell code. They teach you how to look at a network from a very IT perspective. But when it comes to looking at it from an attacker, there's none of that that even exists. Um, and I, f I feel like as an industry, we're tearing ourselves apart because yeah, you know, you get cops out there who are trained to do riot control, to do traffic stops, whatever. And they've been taught that out of a book where police departments, where law enforcement fails is when people who don't grasp those concepts hundred percent, take those concepts to the streets and actually perform them. Right. So we have right. pen testers who go out there with this, very little knowledge of actual pen testing. Hey, I'm a CEH. I got hired by HR. I'm good to go. And then they fuck up an entire corporation pen test and do a denial of service or, or lock people out of their accounts. Um, and I think that's the, the dilution is, is really sad uh, because when we first started in this, in this industry, it was really pure and there was a lot of like really good talent. Um, but yeah. I think, as far as certifications go, this is my platform, right? And I, I hate to bitch about this, but plat my platform is certification as an industry is a complete failure. Um, people are getting paid to do these boot camps, and then there's a test at the end saying, "Hey, I know this this information," but really, it's shotgunning for a test. And I did that yep. through high school and barely graduated high school. Do I remember high school? No, not really. Um, but I passed the test. So does that make me a graduate? Uh, I'm not really sure. But same thing with CEH. So what's your opinion on certification, knowledge in the industry, and what should be required before someone's actually able to go off and do manual pen tests? Um, 
I don't have too much experience in pen testing, but I can talk about SOC environments if, yeah. if that's cool. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. So certifications, I, when I was working as a SOC team lead, I was in the recruitment process uh, for expanding that team. And um, there was a constant, this is where my hate for HR came in mostly, but there was a constant fight between certification versus experience. Right. And what I was looking for was someone who could work in a team and someone who like, so basically someone who's not an asshole and uh, what sort of experience they had rather than what certifications. So if they were presenting things like I had this side project where I, I built a whole bunch of Raspberry Pis into a botnet and so I'd be like, this guy, I like him. But then they're, they're looking for, oh, but do they have a CEH, which I, I threw out so many times that it's the most load of shit certification I've ever seen. Um, the only reason I got one is because I was, I was paid to do it. I had to do it for yeah. that organization. <laughs> I didn't want to do it, but I've got it. So yay for me. But it's, um, there was a constant battle there between certification versus experience. And I was always looking for experience, either professionally or project. And HR was always looking for what certs do they have that they can bring to the table. And I think, I think that's a very, I don't know if that's like a very government type of approach. I think it probably is because I've seen less of that in private organizations, mm. um, especially in smaller teams. Like these government organizations were not, they're not small. They had SOC teams of like a hundred plus. They're, yeah. they're not small at all. So it's, um, yeah, I, th I think they were looking, HR's looking for certifications. I was looking for experience and personality. Right, right. And that's key, right? So I built, I don't know how many socks, and my last corporate position was a sock director. And the way that, that I looked at potential candidates was not based on have you had experience with Splunk or can you do ArcSight? Or can you do dark trace? It was more of here's an attack. How would you go about analyzing this attack? Where where did this attack come from? How is it generated? Show me how it's produced. And yeah. 90% of the CEHs were just lost. OSCP, yeah, they could grasp like the attack part of it, but when it came into mitigation, it was a different story. Um so I really preach like knowing both sides of the equation, right? So be the attacker, right? Go out and learn how to, how to break shit. But then if you really want a job at blue team or sock, you better know how to, how to defend against it as well. Um, yep. And blue team is not my thing, but building a sock was because I could build it from both sides. Yep. Um, one thing that really bothered me was the bureaucracy and the red tape when it came to SOC, right? So we had multiple clients in this one SOC that relied on our monitoring, et cetera. But it just seemed like a complete groundhog day of exercises of child porn and acceptable use like violations. And that's not what I was hired for, right? So, yeah, it's important to be able to identify that stuff. But in the long run, yeah, that stuff causes a lot of damage, a lot of a lot of financial loss, could be could shut down networks. But there's there's people above that, right? So let's take a look yeah. at where those those child porn websites come from. Why are they accessible from our network? 
why are people able to access them from offshore platforms or whatever? And tell me what executive made this okay on those platforms and we can address it, right? And certifications don't tell you that. Certifications tell you, hey, in order to hack this website, use Donald Dick. And when I was in, when I took the CH course and was going through their 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 classroom fucking uh, syllabus and saw Donald Dick, I was like, you've got to be kidding me, right? You want me to audit this course and tell you what's wrong, and you're using a tool from 1990? Like, no, that that's our, our industry is way beyond that. But yep. that's what we deal with, right? Um, Sam, there's, there's different layers of like threat protection and yeah. URL filtering as well. It doesn't it doesn't just sit with let's block the IP type yeah. thing. There's so many different layers to that. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, when you look at the type of protection that you can have available as opposed to what's being utilized in ninety percent of the market, it's sad. And when you look yep. at the when you look at the breaches and see SolarWinds was attacked, you know, effectively, and you look at all of the other places that were attacked, you're like, it's no surprise. But for the government here in the U.S., it was complete surprise. And I'm like, where have you been the past ten years? You've been living under a rock. Like this shit has been building. Like it's here. It's time. Um, and I think globally during the pandemic, when the pandemic hit. I really think people should have taken a step back and realized that guess what? The internet is about to be fucked completely. Yep. Cybercrime. And it did. Yes. <laughs> Multiple <Not> times. <laughs> ban- bandwidth. You know, you look at the yep. attack structure, you look at nation state, the internet blew up after COVID. Internet jumped into the bang bus. That's yes. essentially <laughs> what happened. Yeah. <laughs> no better, no better, uh, uh, comment for that i mean that that's uh, yeah completely um so when you look at what's going on now and people trying to like catch up and and you know the vaccination and, and people trying to steal like information about the vaccination it's a it's an info war right across the internet and unfortunately us uk everybody's is failing at that because we, you know, that's not our primary mode of, I guess, puffing our chest. Ours is more kinetic, you know, let's show you bombs, let's show you missiles, while you completely destroy our infrastructure with the internet. Yep. Um, and that's, that's, uh, that's going to go on for a while, right? Um, in the economy, anytime the economy, the global economy is bad from pandemic, uh, people have to make money. And whether it's through your network or your consumers, we're going to find a way to make money. Yeah. And, that, and this that, is it's kind of goes back to that mafia point of view that you're saying before, which is that the frontier of crime is no longer in the streets with guns. Nope. It's on the internet with information. And it, it has been for a while. It's just now with the, in the last year uh, with the you know pandemic and everything blowing up, that is where you get attacked and, yeah. and it's the proof is there. Look at how the fishing stats. Mm-hmm. Um, 200%, 200% yeah. in the first month. 200%. Exactly. Yeah. And it grew from there. Like it, it didn't stop at 200. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't sort of flatline at 200. It kept going and it will continue to keep going for a very long time. And yeah. when people start realizing that that's how 
you're going to need to start protecting your environments. That's when things will happen. But saying that, I have had a lot of um, companies asking me for pen tests, but including phishing in there. Yeah, yeah. And um, not only that, but also uh, in there where their data center is or whatever to do a physical pen test on those environments as well, because there's less people guarding it because there's, there's less people around basically like physical people um, there. So they are looking at the security of that. And if, you know, maybe there's some guy in a van out the front, who knows? Uh, um, So it's, yeah, there has been an increase in that as well, but I'd say phishing has been the number one thing this year for me. Yeah, absolutely. I've done pen tests for domain registrars for different companies, but if, if you need help, if, if you get a pen test for, you know, like a legit, like regular pen test, let me know. Um, yeah, we get quarter. We usually sign people up on quarterly pen tests. Yeah. Um, we, we do one big one at the start and say, this is what's wrong. And this is how long it's going to take for us to yeah. protect it. If you want us to, otherwise you can get your own team to do it. But yeah. usually they're just like, yeah, just do it. Yeah. So, so we focused, I guess, the past year on post pandemic um, struggles within IT. And have identified several like key processes that have failed in all corporations. Um, a lot of that has to do with hiding data, right? So CEOs posting too much data on their public profiles, social media, etc. Um, there's a lot out there because everybody's lives revolve around the internet now. As before, you know, you look at Facebook, take for example, right? And you got people who you knew in high school or, or you know, secondary school, and they live their lives on social media. Well, when the pandemic hit, you had corporations, executives who didn't live their lives on the internet and social media who are now doing it. Mm-hmm. And which causes like physical vulnerability to that executive, to their family, to financial vulnerability to bank accounts, to transactions, to SWIFT, to chips, all the above. Um, And every talk I've given between, I guess it was a year ago and today has all been working from home. And the predictions I made last year was we're going to see more ICS SCADA uh, attacks as well as, you know, some serious like financial hits on executives, like targeted executives. If I see someone uh, in an organization on LinkedIn, who's like the account manager or uh, accounts executive or whatever, someone in accounts, they're my number one target. Absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) I'm going to hit them hard and I'm going to be calling them up as Ben from Microsoft to sign into OneDrive or whatever, anything I can think of that I think they're going to fall for. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard. You, You find them, you find them on Facebook or Instagram, do a bit of digging, see if they've got a leaked password somewhere on some sort of breach database and see if it's still the same. Chances are it probably is or a very close to a, a derivative of that original password. They just changed the number or whatever. Absolutely. Um, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So I, I got... Hacking, right? Yeah. <laughs> very right. loosely, yeah. <laughs> Open source hacking. So, yeah. so I got interviewed by a CISO, I guess it was about three or four months ago. And the guy did no homework on me, didn't know who I was, didn't know you know, anything about my background. And, but I did a, a full OSINT dossier on him through Facebook. I knew his kids were his daughters. I knew where they went to school. I knew what college football team he played for. I knew the Marine Corps uh, platoon he, he was in, like everything. 
And when we had a conversation, it was like I knew him for 20 years. And this guy was like, how do you know so much? And I was like, because I do my homework. I'm interested in this the job. internet. <laughs> yes. I'm interested in this job, you know, and it would make common sense to me if you were interested in hiring somebody for this job that you wanted to be effective, you would have done the same. Therefore, I'm backing out because your homework doesn't equate my homework and you have a lot more to lose than I do. Oh, yeah. So, and someone with the, the right sort of intent to use that information for something not so nice, like yeah. maybe I'll kidnap your kids and see what money I can get. Exactly. Ransom. I mean, that might sound extreme, but it, it happens. happens. It happens. <laughs> it happens. happens. It happens daily, as a matter of oh, fact. Yeah. I was working for an uh, intelligence company in Dallas, and part of our portfolio was identifying people who had taken kids for ransom from executives and finding a way to get them back through teams on the ground as well as Intel. So it happens. It's not what you see in the movies. What people don't understand is life imitates art and art imitates life. So what you see in the movies to a very, to a variation, to a degree happens in real life. And what, sure. what you see happening in real life happens in the movies. I mean, it, it's vice versa, right? My life has not been, um, a Disney feature film for, you know, Disney ice capades on ice, but it's been more like a nightmare. Um, ETA can ghost can can equate to that, and some other people I know that you know have gone through similar you know serious situations that you know life imitates art and art imitates life. But as an industry, we want the mystique, we want the people that were involved in these these psychological thrillers, but we don't want the responsibility of having them as a threat to our company. So they pull us in as assets and, and use us where they want and then burn us. And that's it. Um, and that's another thing that's going to do a disservice to the industry, right? So there's a lot of us who have backgrounds who we probably wouldn't qualify for a security clearance anymore. But we know a lot more than maybe Lockheed Martin or Pro Systems or any company that creates malware. Um but they're fearful, right? They, they won't pull us in unless there's like a serious nation state breach. And by then it's too, it's too late. It's really too late. Yeah. I mean, we saw it with solar winds, right? If they would have hired some of us to come in and say, Hey, look, your shit's fucked. And this is how, um, they probably could have turned away from that situation. I dare say someone did tell them. Yeah. I'm sure there was someone skilled enough in there saying your shit's fucked. And you yeah. need someone to fix it. And they're like, uh, low priority. It's, it's, yeah. We're more focused about making money and pushing sales. Yeah. Let's let's focus on that. And we'll, we'll cover the security later. And yeah. I only say that because that's usually what happens in a, a massive corporate environment like SolarWinds. 100% truth, right? So even without SolarWinds, right? So the, the critical infrastructure, the, the power grid, the water supply is all being engineered off NT systems, like really archaic shit. Yep, and, gas lines as well. Yeah, and nobody wants to protect them because it would take a huge undertaking plus financial burden to fix it. But in the meantime, they're calling me saying, hey, can we get a comment about how the water system in Florida was compromised? And I'm like, well, how, how long of a statement do I need to make? Because it's really easy. It's like a 10-second like a, a statement. <laughs> the shit is fucked because you don't care and you don't want to put money towards it, period. It's not a priority because it costs money. Money. There's and, no and ROI. it's not cheap either. 
Yeah, there's no ROI. And that's, that's been my biggest platform for probably about the past 20 years is that, you know, companies and corporations want to spend money on cybersecurity, but the board of investors, there's no ROI. They don't see the return investment. They see this quarter we weren't compromised, but the real value comes when they are compromised and they're like, oh, well, shit, it only took us like a day to get back up. We only lost like, you know, one mil, right? That's a big, yeah. that's a big win for most big corporations. But if they don't invest in cybersecurity, that one mil becomes like 50 mil. And that one yeah. week becomes like a year. So, okay. I mean, that, that's, that's where we're heading as a culture, as civilization right now. I have seen some changes here in Australia where um, if you do have a data breach, you do have to report it and you can get fined by yeah. the government for not having a secure environment. So there is an initiative there to push these companies into securing their environments, which is, that's, I think that's a good direction to take. And I have an example of this the other day, I think it was Monday morning, it's like 5am or something. And a guy who I had organized to do a pen test for starting Thursday uh, called me up and he said, we've had a data breach. <laughs> I was like, well, at least you, you made the call because he made the call last year to have this pen test done. And it is a government organization. So they, it takes a while to get these things approved. Right, right. And um, it went through all the pr- approval. It was scheduled for Thursday. All good. Monday morning comes around. We've been breached. Mm. I need you to help. Step in right now and get this stuff done. I'm like, bro, I can't just like drop everything. <laughs> like, well, I've got other people to look after here. So anyway, I, I helped out as much as I could and did some um, forensic work on following the breadcrumbs and all the rest of it. But it was, it's, it's just that because his main concern was, they needed to contain the breach to keep under the threshold for being fined because <laughs> yeah. the fine is hefty. It's, yeah. it's not a small, it's lots of money. So yeah. In the U S they're more willing to pay the fine than they are to put together the defense mechanism, which wow. is really sad. I mean, That's cause bad. really the people who pay the ultimate price are the consumers. Yep. But in the U.S. And also your name, if you worked for that organization in the SOC mm. and you go to another job oh, and they say, oh, wait, weren't you, you, weren't you part of that data breach not long ago? And you're like, no. I mean, come on, we were doing what we could. <laughs> yeah, we had our hands tied, man. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that happens as well. Yeah, I've been, at, I've been in that position before where I had a company that had gotten breached through the accounts payable. I put together a, a complete report showing how they were forwarding emails out to a third party and people were interjecting themselves in the email strings. And their reaction was, if the board hears about this, we'll lose our job. So I'm not reporting it. And I was like, look, you have my report. It's in your hands. If you decide not to report it, that's not me. So, I mean, there's a lot of CYA that shouldn't go on that goes on, um, especially in the U S. Um, yeah. so, with that being said, um, Will and uh, Ghost, do you have any questions for David? Uh, there's a couple in the chat. Pen testing versus red team engagements. What's your preference and why? If you've ever done red teaming, SOC analyst versus pen testing. I need to be looking for passion and bringing ideas to life. I like the the comment about passion. That's, passion. I definitely look at passion. That's what I was talking about with personality is that person with the right frame of mind to get into a job. But 
pen testing versus red team. Um, the only pen testing I've ever done is in my current contract that I'm doing as a, a cloud network pen tester, which is a little bit different to your normal pen test. It's not like web app pen testing. It's more like but you have a look at a Meraki or a Unify or something like one of those cloud network technologies and try and find the vulnerabilities in that. Um, the other type of pen testing that I do is in Azure environments primarily. Um, so on that cloud thing as well, trying to harden Azure. So versus red team, which I love doing, but there's not that much around of it, especially at the moment with all the lockdown and stuff, it's become less of a priority um, compared to different types of cloud technologies that more and more people are using. So red team is fun. It's pretty rare, um, but it is it is good. So back when I was working in that government organization, my main role was in like a social engineering red team role. And it was a 12 month contract again. And um, it was fun. And you, you get to do lots of like, you know, FBI open up type stuff, except not quite as Hollywood as that. But um, especially in a, a technical role, but um, it, it was fun. So I, I guess fun versus tech. Um, yeah, it's 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 somewhere in between, which is is good for me anyway. Um, there are people like specialists who they specialize in breaking into places, yeah. like picking locks and stuff, all that good stuff. Um, you're more in a red team technical position. You're more designing those tools for those guys to use. You don't really go out uh, into the into the wild type thing. Or sometimes you do, but it's it's pretty rare. Yeah, for um, for, for red team, I think it's more of, especially like the physical test, right? So it's more of a I consider it a jump crew. So in the military, we had crews that were ready to roll on twenty four hour notice, and those were our jump yeah. crews. And with red teaming. Same thing, right? So you have your electronic locks, you have physical locks, you have you know, your, your kits, you have your your RFID. It's really the same assessment over and over again, but that's our jump team. Um, with what you're doing, it's more like, you know, ad hoc red team where you bring in a red team to test certain uh, technology um, and move on. Yeah. But yeah, with military red team, it's it's way different than what most people see in corporate. Um, yep. And even and they separated out a lot as well. So yeah. I was more on a surveillance mm-hmm. side of things. Um, so if, if that's where the social engineering bit comes in, where you do have to talk to people to get information mm-hmm. to give to the rest of the surveillance team to work out how to move from there, and then someone else does the actual moving. Like if yeah. you're. You're in a computer room. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not out there. So, it's, so there's different areas of it as well. So me and my roommate went to a place called, what was it? Um, Unclaimed Baggage, uh, I believe. So they took uh, suitcases from the airlines that weren't claimed and dumped all of the shit that you can buy out of those suitcases. And, dude, we found antennas. We found Kindles. We found all kinds of really cool shit. And I'm thinking, wow, I could supply my whole red team kit, my go bag through one of these places, USB, like, you know, power packs and antennas. Like it, it takes that for red team. Right. So pen testing is a little different. Pen testing is more of, let me sit on the outside and make, you know, a hacker who may be looking at your network as a, as a, 
potential target. And then look at, you know, as far as red team goes, we look at physical, we look at people, we look at placement, we look at process, we look at all the above cameras, IP, et cetera. Um, and then we, we find our way in through that way. Uh, but even with that being said, there's less and less of that being done right now because of pandemic. People think, oh, we're in a pandemic. We don't need a red team assessment because streets are closed down. Well, you know, if I live within a block of your facility, I'm probably already in your network and probably don't need a red team assessment. But if you're, if you're a company listening to the podcast right now and you have any, like if you're a medium business, you can't afford not to get a red team assessment during a pandemic because the threatscape has changed. The attack methodology has changed. The tools that we use have changed. Um, it's not the same red team assessment you got a year ago. So maybe take a look at that. Um, Wayne had a message. Hi, David. When it comes to talent, raw skill, are you finding people's ambition is getting a little ahead of their real skill, i.e. their perception? Actual skills are quite different. I'm curious if this is a part of your current problem. I mean, it's respectably. So I'll let you answer this, David, and then I'll answer it as well because I have my own take on it. Um, short answer is yes. Ambition is definitely outweighing the level of skill. But saying that, that's not so much a bad thing. That's, that's where I feel people are just hungry for the job. And I, I don't think ambition is a bad thing at all. In fact, I think it's a great thing. But um, it, sometimes you do need to get in check. And sometimes those interviews that you go to, uh, depending on who you're talking to, like once you get past HR and they're rubbish and you talk to someone technical, they'll, they'll lay it down on you how much skill you really have. And usually in an interview, they'll say, look, I'm sorry, you're too green. You're not, you're not suited for this thing. But sometimes they say, oh, look, you might be better suited for this. Or maybe with, um, if you focus on these sort of projects that you've been looking at a little bit more, um, you think they're great and they are, but put a bit more detail into it and we'll give you the job, something like that. So that's, it's yeah it kind of goes hand in hand with good and bad where ambition can outweigh your skill but i don't think it's a, a bad thing overall i think ambition is no. great no, i look yeah. at it as something really positive yeah ambition is fantastic the the way that i get around well, i shouldn't say get around but the way that i prove candidates is create a vulnerable lab right so i have like a virtual network with vulnerable images hosted on a network and give them a half a day to exploit whatever they can write the report and then present the report in a, you know, an obtainable manner where I can consume it as like a C level. Um, to me, that's most important, right? So I don't look at, can you match a CVE to an exploit? I want to see how you look at the network, how creative you are, the way you address that network and how you communicate the issues afterwards, like post post work. Show me what you know. Show me how you got through, and let's talk about it. Let's let's yeah. be creative. Let, let's let's address the issues. Um, I don't think a lot of companies do that. They look for certifications and say, "Okay, great. Now we're going to have you shadow another group of people while they're actually working, and you're not going to do anything but shadow and just watch." 
And to me, that's, that's a complete waste of talent, right? That happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's, let's test these people, get them with a the senior tester, get them out on a job and get them involved because that's what people need. They need real shit to get involved with. Um, OCP is great. Volm Hub's great. Rapid Seven and their tool, X, you know, Nexpos and and Volm Hub and and all this stuff is fantastic. But unless you give these people a, a chance to actually put their their knowledge to test, all that's for nothing. Um, and you know, I've, I've spent probably a good part of twenty years building my reputation and and just showing people that, you know, hey, I can do beginner and I can do advanced cryptography. What do you need? Show me what your needs are. I know what I can do. What are your needs? Um, and I know a lot of people new in the industry probably don't have that level of, you know, let's let's go to task. Um, but it's important to know that that occurs behind the scenes. Um, Will is fairly new into our world. So, Will, what, what questions do you have for David as far as, you know, what you do now Um as opposed to, you know, what he's done and what his background is. You're mute. All right, hold on. I'll just go. He had another question earlier about SOC analysts versus uh, pen testing. Yeah. Um, they are fairly different roles to each other, um, mm-hmm. but they do encompass bits of each other's jobs as well. So someone who's defending an environment in a SOC analyst role should probably know a little bit about how to attack it as well, mm-hmm. because they sort of go hand in hand. Um, but at the same time, at a pen tester needs to know how someone's going to defend an environment to be able to look for those vulnerabilities. So they're fairly similar in that respect, but the day-to-day job is quite different. Way different. So SOC yeah. analysts, um, you know, when you sit behind, let's say dark trace at the most advanced level, um, can get very monotonous sitting there watching alerts or things pop up on the screen that really make no sense or haven't been truly correlated. Um, and even with some of the new, the new tools coming out, right? The buzzwords, AI, machine learning, um, a lot of it's nonsense. And you're, you know, the CISOs are, are expecting this like AI level analysis when the tool actually doesn't do true AI. So the analysts are left to compensate for the lack of trust with the tool and what's been advertised is what the tool can actually do and the production of an actual report to a client that shows that AI. Um, and that's where my pain comes from, this whole AI ML buzzwords is it going to take over the industry <laughs> that's probably question number two on the list of questions i get yeah yeah absolutely and and the quick the answer to that question i usually give is the concern shouldn't be should it take over the industry rather than will the bad guys get a copy of this ai based algorithm in their inbox and learn how to create their own malware based on Bayes algorithm and prediction of behavior analysis. If so, you're fucked because your analysts can't protect against the, the, the very low level MS blaster that's been around for 20 years. So, I mean, it, yep. it, it goes back to how far you want to really get involved 
and how far, how much of a difference you truly want to make, right? So you have companies out there trying to make a quick buck. They're getting into cybersecurity. It's, it's a great fucking industry for making money. But to be effective at it, it takes knowledge. It takes people with experience. It takes a tool that not only has the buzzwords, but can produce on those buzzwords. Don't tell me your don't tell me your AI and then pass up an exploit on port 8080 of PowerShell. It, it doesn't fly. <laughs> yeah. So totally. That's true. Um, so ghosts, coming from our background, um, we have a unique background. Um, yeah, put your earpiece in. Uh, so what would your questions be to, to David as far as where we come from and where the industry's going and, you know, what socks are trying to do, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that I really wanted to touch base on was the whole dialogue concerning, um, the issue of the certification um, because this is something that I struggled with in the past. I was one of the lucky ones who ended up being hired by an ISP in Dallas without a certification that will probably never happen again. Um, um, I want to know if the industry is, is beginning to, or if the industry will, will, can, will begin to give people like Mike and myself uh, you know, an opportunity to to have that kind of entry level position without showing or proving that we're really good test takers. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Now, this is a question that I had been forming for a long time because, like, I have been doing what I was doing for 11 years and the chief federal forensics investigator for the public defender's office had been doing what he was doing for 11 years. And when we came together, it showed that we were not on the same page. We did not have the same understanding or experience. So I really wanna know, do you think that there, is there a, a, an opening door for people like Mike and myself who might be able to, to find those types of opportunities without certs? Uh, yes, but it depends on where you are. So for, Places that I've worked, like in Australia or Singapore, um, even China, I've done a bit of work there. China is very much based on certification and being able to take that test. Singapore, um, they always, Singapore yeah. is not, though. Singapore is very open. Exactly. Yeah. They will take anyone from anywhere. And if you can show the skill, they'll mm. take you. Yeah. Whereas somewhere like China or even Australia, um, Australia is somewhere in between where it depends more on who you know rather than um, what certifications you have because mm. um, it, there's a saying here it's like mates for mates I guess, so yeah so see, I, would, see, I would imagine that it, it, there, is a, there is a level of burden of proof because just because like how would someone like Michael or myself be able to demonstrate you know that we would be a good fit for the company without you know having to show that we're good test takers so but i'm trying to i wonder if we'll ever create like a base of, of something that would allow us to to show some type of proof so singapore i don't know is I'm very just, i'm just singapore is very interesting ghost so when i went to singapore the first time i was working for the ministry of defense same thing with egypt um 
And really, they wanted. When was that? Because I worked there as well. <laughs> uh, really, which one? Egypt or Singapore? Singapore. Okay, so Singapore. I've been on and off with them since 2010. I went and trained their Ministry of Defense on voice over IP hacking and interception in 2010. Shit. Okay, I yeah. did some stuff there in 2018. Yeah. So I've, I've been 17. Yeah. I've been there off and on. Um, I usually stay at the Marriott down um, near the harbor. And nice. then take a trip over to the, you know, the ship to see the, the laser lights at, at night or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Singapore has a really unique way of, it's, it's a very cool um, community because the expat community from the U.S. is very strong. Oh, yeah. Um, and going over there and meeting with the Ministry of Defense, they were very open to learning how to do what I did. Um, very open to listening, didn't care about credentials. They saw the, the need. And once I started doing the demos and they saw that, you know, hey, this guy can actually like intercept some shit, we should probably listen to him. It takes yeah. a bit, it takes a bit of proving yourself to those countries before they'll open up. Yeah, um, which I think is what Ghost was talking about. There is still yeah. going to be a level of proof that you need to give. Um, depending on where it is, if it's skill or um, yeah. experience or certification, yeah. it, there will always be a proof thing because they want to know who they're bringing in. Who they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And with Singapore, it's, it's a little different, right? So because of the environment, they don't necessarily go off of certifications. They go off of who you know, who's yeah. bringing you in. Who's presenting the business card? Because there's even a certain way you present your business card to the people in charge, right? Um, so Singapore is run by China, ninety nine percent. It's a Chinese. It's a Chinese country. Um, so if you go in, you show them the respect. You know, you present your business card both hands, um, and you sit back and, and you do what you know how to do. That respect is there. Uh, but they will see through bullshit really quick. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, my suggestion is to any pen testers trying to gain a foothold in Singapore, maybe not. Maybe look at Japan, some other places before you go, you know, running into Singapore trying to get attention because Singapore will, they'll put you through the gauntlet. And that's what I like to call it is a gauntlet. They want to see what you can do how you do it. And they want full explanation because when I was brought in, they were wanting to learn how to hack voice over IP so they could monitor their citizens. Right. Because back then they didn't have control over voice over IP. It was big, but they lost the ability to gain that access. They do so now. They, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I spent a good, good amount of time sitting with them and showing them, <laughs> you know, how to intercept voice over IP, you know, how to defeat ACLs, how to defeat 802.1X. Um, Their surveillance in the international airport as well is out of control. It's yes. amazing. Their <laughs> it's airport, scarily good. <laughs> their airport, what's it called? Jingi Airport? Yeah, Changi. Um, yeah, Changi Airport is like by far the most archaic when it comes to bathrooms because there's just a hole in the floor. But when it comes yeah. to tech is way above like you could go to any u.s airport and Chengi has more security controls in any u.s airport but a hole in the, hole in the floor for a bathroom yeah squat toilets is uh, yeah. definitely a thing in that part of the world but yeah. 
for sure. But the, they're on been top getting of, used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I've been going there off and on since 2010. And I spent most of my time in Chinatown as well as some of the other boroughs, but mostly with the Ministry of Defense and some of the encryption companies showing them how we get past voice or IP uh, vulnerability. Uh, but it takes it takes that gaining, um, I guess, respect and trust from those countries in order to function within their borders. Uh, one thing I had going for me was I was not a big fan of the U.S. Um, and it was pretty public. They made it pretty public that, that I was a cyber terrorist. So going to these other countries, they were more than willing to welcome me in and say, hey, look, this is our country. Teach us what you know you know, we'll take care of you we'll do what we can. Yeah. Um, so I trained Cyprus, the, the banking system in Cyprus. I trained Singapore, some other countries. Um, and it, it, it's all independent, right? So my suggestion to anybody getting into pen testing, don't vow your loyalty based on one company or one country. Everybody is independently I guess, hired, and we're all consultants. Um, yep. If you think a company's going to stand by you and be loyal for 50 years, uh, newsflash, not going to happen. So we're all independently employed, and we all have to make our own living. So pick which countries you want to go to. Um, pen testing is, is huge around the globe. Like I'm working with some people on, on the yachting industry, the super yachts. Um, to get onto a super yacht would be badass, right? Spend two weeks on the yacht testing shit. Oh, yeah. That'd be I mean, fun. It's a dream, right? Um, I've been all over the world. I've been to Europe. I've been to Asia. Um, the, the the possibilities are, are limitless. If you take – and it all goes back to passion. If you don't have passion for what you do, you're doing it for a paycheck, you're going to fail. Um Find your niche, find your passion, exploit it, dig it, research it, live it, breathe it, eat it. And eventually you'll come to a point where you're giving talks in front of large audiences. You are doing Skype interviews, TV interviews. It'll all come, it'll all come to fruition, but it's all about people. You know how you treat those people, how you bring those people with you and how you build your own little business empire um it. It, it has to be orchestrated and david tell us about how you developed your business model and how you function um i went off basically the people who were asking me if i had talent to refer to them um, or asking me for contracts so i was in a position where i was i was doing a lot of contracts they were between three to six months long and um, I was doing them through larger companies um, in Australia and, and anywhere else. And I essentially took that, created my own company with a couple of other guys. And that's sort of how I, I took it on. And when they said, do you know anyone? I said, yeah, I know myself. Do I can do it through my own company. And they're like, oh, at the start, it was a bit hard. Definitely. There was a, quite a few months there where proving credibility of that company and showing them that there was a real structure in place, the right sort of insurances, mm. all that fun business stuff um, in place. And then getting those contracts off the back of that, I had to start pretty small. There was a lot of 
uh, useless networking meetings that I went to talking with um, smaller plate, like one to two man type web SEO businesses or something like that, um, yeah. who were pretty much outsourcing. I, you just have to explain what their own vulnerabilities are and how to govern their own data. And that's sort of how I started with that and then moved onto those, doing those bigger contracts. Um, so like what I'm doing now with different other government organizations um, doing their security needs, um, not so much like a full SOC team, but we, we do have like a virtual SOC that we've, we've got available if they want to use it, um, as well as like managed service agents that we can push out to computers and all that standard stuff. But most of the work I'm doing is like a project-based work where there's they need a pen test or they need a, a red team op or they they need some investigation done into a disgruntled employee which that's probably the most common actually yeah, yeah. Um, all the way to training um yeah. yeah like phishing scam training sit down the whole company in five different sessions or something and let's talk about phishing and how i'm going to get your information yeah. and show them like a real example of exactly how someone would get their information and what they can do with it so, so with phishing, do you use like commercial platforms like FishMe, or do you use like uh, you know set like social engineering toolkit? You know, um, there is a toolkit. There's it's basically GoFish with a bunch of custom scripts built in to look for a couple of extra little things that I know are pretty predominant in Australian market anyway. Yeah. So that's it's yeah, it's essentially just like that. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, th there's tons of platforms out there um, and there's tons of ways to like, I guess, market yourself for a pen testing company. But I think what really like the bottom line, especially during a pandemic is gaining that trusted advisor role. Um, and sometimes that takes, you know, proposing this huge pen testing scope and actually only producing like 10% of it just to gain that, that trust uh, yeah. to move on to the next level. And I've done that with a few like UK companies, right? Right now my portfolio with the UK is pretty big, um, but it all started from, you know, ad hoc little, you know, tasks here and there. And you're like, Hey, talk to our, our Intel group, um, give them some advice or, or consultation or whatever. Uh, but you know, it all goes back to learning not only offensive, but defensive and keeping up with the industry, keeping up with the news, um, new techniques. I mean, th this this industry does not slow down. Um, no, there's, there's it only a... accelerates, really. And that's where AI or automation will come into play. Yeah. It's, it's sort what... of built in a way to automate, not so much take someone's job although there is automations that can take people's jobs it's usually the more menial tasks that are yeah. automated out by ai so which brings up a great point we brought on vana high um which is an automated pen testing platform uh, i guess a couple weeks ago and they take care of the automation um, of the scanning and the vulnerability identification which is like paramount that's a big piece of it yeah huge huge and then not only that but the reporting Reporting to me, if you can take over my reporting, I can dump my shit into a template and be done. That's golden. That takes out a week of my time. Hell yeah. Um, and a lot of people, 
you know, a lot of pen testers are, are fearful of the word automation because they automatically think that, oh, you're trying to do away with pen testers. No, we'll always need pen testers to look at and to give sanity checks to the tools as well as manually verify results. It's not something we're going to fire and forget. But throughout history of pen testing, before pen testing was even like a real industry, before there were CEHs, a small group of us were doing somewhat true pen tests. Um, and we didn't have all the automation. We didn't have the templates to drop, you know, data into and screenshots and, and make it like a streamlined process to where a report over, you know, a huge net block won't take us one week. You know, we were doing reports that were lasting two or three weeks at a time. Um, yeah. So the, the industry as a whole has come a long way. Uh but I think the real division that we're going to see from here on out is the people who come from school with CEHs and diluting the industry with, with nonsense. How many of those people are going to be left standing operating the tools? Um, how many of those people are going to be left in the industry with, you know, not so technical jobs? Um, and I think I, I have a, I have a huge fear that that's going to be a lot. Um, yeah, I reckon because- so. I'd agree with you. I, I wouldn't trust a DOD network with someone who has a CEH. And with the U.S. right now, the qualifications to become a DOD contractor in cybersecurity requires two things. A CEH, the ability to get um, a clearance on a secret level, which is only fingerprinting and no felony charges. And I want to say that require one other certification, whether it be security plus or whatever. So when you look at that, that requirement, as opposed to the level of threat against a country like the U S that is so subpar, we're going to put those people on the front lines of APT attacks. So incidents like solar winds, (laughs) you might as well leave the window open because solar winds can become solar hurricane. You know, it's not going to slow down. That's it. So, it's, I, yeah. But in here, it's more like Security Plus and OSCP now. But yeah. getting a clearance, you, with a history, you can still get a clearance. Um, yeah. Depends what level of clearance you need. But, I mean, we're all convicts anyway. So. <laughs> um, yeah, they're not too caught up on that, depending on what it is, of course. Yeah. But, um yeah, I mean, if you wanted to work in a like the police, um, I can't remember what they're called now, but if you have some sort of felony around um, cyber espionage and you want to get into their SOC team, probably not going to happen. That's a shame too, because those guys with that cyber espionage background- They're probably the ones you really want, yeah. <laughs> they, they're they're the, the gold mine, right? So- exactly. You know, if you can maintain control of them and their behavior and, and maintain, you know, what what expectations are involved with that the operation, dude, those are, are huge assets. But when you burn those assets and say, look, we don't want you because you have a background, guess who they're going to go to? They're going to go to cybercrime. And do you really want a CEH defending your network against somebody who is a former black hat who knows how to get past that? Probably not. So why not spend the extra, probably, you know, spend the extra money, gain that trust, 
um, find a way to formulate a legal contract that will bind them to all sorts of shit so, so they behave in a certain way. But those are the people you want. You don't want somebody you can as an external contract. Like if you were to work yep. for yourself, or if I had a, a background in espionage or something, mm-hmm. um, I think that would probably work in my favor now. But yep. I, I don't. I've always been on the, the true blue good side of, of things. But um, if I did have a history, it'd probably work better for me, to be honest. Because people would be like, he, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he got caught, which is not great, but. He's obviously got the skill. Right. And that, that, that to me is a more lucrative side of business. But the more important side to me is being able to give back, right? So I've been able to take my history and put that aside and jump in with kids who are, who are going in the wrong direction and help them like straighten their path and, and do the right thing. Yeah. And then I've jumped on companies as a board member trying to advise them to look at this direction as opposed to hiring these people, you know, let's look at bringing real talent and proven talent. You know, it's, it's a bigger risk, but the payoff is much larger as opposed to bringing in somebody from a security plus background. Sure. Um, well, I think that's, that's the task that we run globally. I mean, I've spoken with um, the guy from catch me if you can, uh, what, what the hell is that guy's name? um frank something or other i spoke with him abignow yes abignow i spoke with him twice during the future of Cybersecurity uh europe conferences and he's been with the agency 44 years does great things for the fbi helps them in creating algorithms i mean fantastic right so if you can find hackers that are that willing to work with law enforcement government it's a gold mine but the yeah. problem, problem with the U.S. is when you turn your back against the U.S., they're done. Like they've made me, wow. they've made me a complete zero. I was locked in the U.K. for two years. No way, no way to get back. Um, but what was funny is the U.K. and European governments were willing to listen to what I had to say and willing to put me to work to help them secure their networks and to help their kids. The U.S. Yeah. There's no room for that. They just want to put you in prison and forget that you exist. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the prison system over there is a money-making system as well. So it's there a, is that to it yeah. as well. Yeah, it's a private but, system. Private yeah. system. Yeah. I know in Australia, um, ASIO does recruitment through Twitter a lot mm-hmm. uh, for black hats. Mm-hmm. It's like one of their target markets for uh, new recruits is all these black hats and that's that's kind of cool i guess but or even people who maybe consider themselves or don't know um if they're black gray or white or purple or whatever right they they sort of point towards those sort of people who have an interest and maybe don't want to follow the rules so much because that point of view is pretty vital especially in this industry right right and it takes it takes that member who doesn't want to go by the rules to figure out how to break those rules. You bring somebody from college or from, you know, a boot camp and say, Hey, look, you know, we've got this technology, a SCADA system. How do you want to go about hacking it? That's most- it. And the only reason I know those sort of things is because of experience. But if I was to jump into it again, when I first started, I was, I was in that, that line, right. I, I knew 
how to do things and how to, how to get it done. But it was more of a, it's like more of a test yeah. uh, in a college exam, which is, is perfectly fine for me. But for someone who's thinking outside of the box, they would have done so much better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And patience sure. and patience too. Right. So yeah. usually with pen tests, we're given like what, two weeks, one week for testing, one week for reporting. And I have to explain to him in the, in the report, you know, Hey, look, this is what we found, but this is a very small window given the amount of patience and, and the value of the target, that time frame may change and the amount of, of, of work put into it may change as well. Um, sure. Just depends on the target. So we had a couple other questions. How important is it for your, your security people to be able to speak the language of CISO and CTOs, the key decision makers in organizations. So the way we break down teams, um, we have a, a like like a red team lead who organizes and orchestrates. They're basically like the composer of the red team. Um, they make every make sure everything works on a on a time schedule, uh, maintenance windows, uh, sign offs from law enforcement, etc. That's great. Um, but then after the testing, we usually have one person who's really good at speaking the data to a CISO to an executive level so they can digest it. And then we have... That's where I come in, usually. Yes. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> and someone who can speak to IT as well um, to communicate that and, and get that work in motion. But really what's most important is like David's role speaking to CISOs and CTOs. I was that CISO and I was that CTO. Um, and I can tell you that when someone comes to me with a 50-page pen test report, the first two pages are for me. The rest, I just throw in the trash. Um, but what it really takes is someone like David to break down the executive level, the C-level communication. Yeah, you really me. have to articulate exactly what the main points are very quickly yes. and make it so that it's, it has some sort of risk behind it and how that affects compliance it's all part of the fun of grc but yeah being able to articulate yourself properly and say exactly what's wrong and getting the point across mm. is pretty important i think super important as well as not only speaking to the c levels but also putting things in a digestive format to where they can call back on you if they have questions um, yep. I've seen companies walk in and do pen tests and leave a report and it be completely above the CISO's level. And the CISO looks at me and says, Hey, do you know what this means? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. But did you not talk to the company who came in? But a lot of companies, they, they drop the report, grab their paycheck and that's it. They're done. Yep. Um, so if you really want to succeed in this industry as a pen tester, Go the extra mile. Make yourself available, um, not only during the pen test, but afterwards. If, if a company has a question about, you know, hey, we just got an email or, hey, we're seeing this malware. Have you seen anything about it? Do, do an hour's worth of intelligence work and figure out what the fuck they're talking about and get back to them and give them some yep. kind of guidance, man. Don't leave them out there um, because that's what our industry really lacks is people who – want to put in the effort after they get the paycheck. That's like, it. And instead of just having a report, like an audit report there, 50 mm -hmm. million pages, whatever, put it at, at the beginning, the mm -hmm. action plan. Yes. Right at the start, you say, this is what's wrong. 
this is what we can do to get you over the line. Yep. And they'll appreciate They won't read the rest. They're not going to read it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's all cannon fodder. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just rubbish. Well, it's not right. Like it's very important, but it's, they're not going to read it is my point. They, they so, know, they know that there's a hundred machines out there. that are being accessed through telnet. They're not stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't necessarily want to know that their baby's ugly, but that's our job. And <laughs> once we tell them it's a matter of, Hey, your baby's really ugly, but we can help you make that baby a lot better looking if you buy these clothes for it. And we can yeah. help you do that. Um, but other than that, man, like the pandemic has really changed our industry as a whole. I know for me, it's really changed what I do. Um, yeah. A lot more remote pen tests, less vulnerability assessments, zero face-to-face conferences. It's all virtual conferences and, and speaking engagements and whatnot. Um, and I work in like 10 different time zones, so it's really exhausting. So okay. what, do you, what do you experience, David, as far as post-pandemic and running your business and, and what you've experienced on your side? Um, it's changed from mostly for me in um, protecting one building as an environment mm-hmm. to lots of little nodes as the entire environment. So imagine it as this is what you were protecting before and then this is what you're protecting now. <laughs> yeah. You still have to do the, the middle bit, which is where everyone's connecting into, but you also have to protect that traffic going in and out from wherever people are. Yeah. And without control of their router or some sort of firewall that they have, it it can be quite tricky. So it's a lot more endpoint protection and a lot less um, just that site environment protection. Yeah. So I've been called into certain like groups to talk about working from home and, and the mix of technology. And I think the biggest concern right now is you have teenage kids, you have, you know, the mother, the, the kids are involved that have this, this, this mixed technology, cell phones, gaming systems, um, Alexa, Google, Chromecast, all that, all that stuff within the network. While a company is still trying to maintain their, their operational status in that same network, competing with those other pieces of infrastructure for bandwidth and yep. security. So you're mixing all kinds of new vulnerabilities with what used to be a pretty stringent environment with your corporate corporate environment. And now it's like the Wild West. A good example of that is the governments here, especially the local governments like council level governments, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't supply their remote staff with computers or devices to use. Wow. I know. So people are jumping on their kids' computers um, or their, their home laptop or whatever Mm-hmm. or having to go out and buy another one. And that is a massive problem in itself. That's like a, a security disaster just waiting to explode. So there's a lot of that going on. And um, that was like pretty much every council in Australia. I don't know how many councils there are, but there's, there's lots. Yeah, and we had lots of users connecting in on those environments. So it's, for sure. it's just a disaster. For sure. M- most of the talks I get involved in, in the past couple months has been working from home and people were like concerned about, well, I'm on VPN, so I should be secure. And I'm like, yeah, you would be secure. Had, had you not had your son's Xbox on the same network and your yeah. daughter's cell phone on Snapchat and Instagram and, you know, the Wi-Fi without a password, you know, all that would be great if you were only worrying about that VPN connection. 
but in my my prediction last year, like middle of lockdown in the UK was we're going to see a lot more attacks against VPN infrastructure, um, ICS environments, and stuff like that. And so far, 100%, VPN yeah. has been like the big target to find vulnerabilities. And if you can infiltrate a VPN connection, you own the company and the employee. So, I mean, organized crime is all about it. Nation states, all about it. You know, we're, we're yeah. going to find vulnerabilities. It's also a lot easier to, like, you don't have to crack a VPN. You can yeah. fish someone much easier, especially when they're working from home, because they'll take that phone call. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And with, like, services like Spoof Card, right? So you can spoof your uh, phone number and call in and say, hey, look, we're the FBI. There's been some kind of uh, issue on your network. You're going to have to open up this port, this port. You know, let me take you know control of this, whatever. And the second they see FBI on caller ID, guess what? They're giving me control. Oh, yeah. And it's happening all over the world. You know, I, I've seen it in multiple places. And uh, what's sad is that they're hitting the people that have probably the most money and probably the most vulnerable, the older people and just taking full advantage. And, you know, there's nobody they can turn to because there's no public service announcements. There's no announcements from the UK or from the U S saying, Hey, look, this is what we're seeing on a cyber level. Please look out for this specific stuff. And here's a list and here's how it's worded. Here's what the emails look like. I have not yet seen one announcement from the government saying, Hey, look, look out for this activity. Nothing. It's, it's always, yeah, we're we're entering into a new uncharted territory and cybersecurity is a big deal. And we just got hacked through solar winds, but stand by. What what does that tell the people? The people are like, Oh, we're all fucked. And guess what? (laughs) You let them in. So we're just going to wait for you to like close the door. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's bad. (laughs) Uh, And I I hate to spread like all the the doom and gloom, but I'm always called upon when it comes to doing like these like predictions for the next year. On doom and gloom is what keeps us employed. Microsoft is what keeps me employed. (laughs) (laughs) And Microsoft environments in Australia, like Azure and 365 over here, is I'd say at least 90% of. For organizations sure. infrastructure for sure at and least then, and, and then they took solar winds and tried to say oh well we were the ones primarily targeted for solar winds no you're just like the most prolific technology that happens to be global yep. yeah we're gonna we're gonna target your shit but guess what we don't really care about your stuff we care about threat intel we care about doj we care about government agencies we care about infrastructure we don't care about Microsoft. Fuck Microsoft. Microsoft's been around forever. You're just a yeah. conduit and a taxi cab for our attacks. That's the way it's always been. So with that being said, um, any more questions for David? Uh, David, if you have any questions for me or for the community, fire away. Um, I want to take this time before we get off of here to thank you for taking your time out of your schedule to jump online with us. I know I owe you a hoodie. I've been super swamped. <laughs> I've been super. Hell yeah. We'll do I a mean, swap. I'll give you a DC cybersec hoodie and I'll take a haunted hacker one. How about this? You bring me on your show and I'll get you a coffee cup and a hoodie. Shit. Okay. Deal. You got a deal. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. So, I mean, it's been really, it's, it's been ridiculous. I've had so many conferences and stuff to, to answer to you for the past month or so, but things are slowing down a little bit and getting under control. And I've got my staff like helping me out or whatever, um, which is really important during post pandemic. If, if you're a public speaker, you better find somebody to help you because you're going to be inundated with requests. Um, questions for David before we close out. Um, yeah, and I was kind of like disappointed with it. So I look at it this way. When someone invites me to be on a podcast, I'm all about it, whether it be 6 a.m. in the morning or 10 o'clock at night, um, I'm all for it. Uh, we did have... An